Alex Carell is one of over 70,000 Google Career Certificate graduates. The Google Career Certificate program completely changed the trajectory of my life. I've always been interested in computers, but I never thought I could turn this into a career. Anytime I got a little break, I just pop open the course on my phone. That allowed me to have that path into a career that I'm passionate about. Train online for in-demand jobs in IT, UX design, data analytics, project management, and more. Visit grow.google/certificates. This episode is brought to you by Simple Mobile. Tired of being tied down with a wireless contract? Switch to Simple Mobile and stay connected on a powerful nationwide 5G network. Unlimited talk, text, and data starts at $30 a month with no contracts, activation fees, or credit checks. Visit simplemobile.com today. Out with the old, in with the simple. Compatible 5G-capable device and SIM require. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. One month equals 30 days. See terms and conditions at simplemobile.com. Good evening, angels. I don't think it's that funny. It's not funny. No, it's not. Like you don't ever get the burpees after you eat. We don't get the burpees, but we don't vomit. I know, but we burn. It's not vomit. It's more like no. it's more like, dude. I'm gonna vomit if I look at it, dude. That's chunks on the ground. It's more like a cut. No. <laughs> Just bring it up dude. and chew it up again. <laughs> it's like it's like cut. Oh. Oh, That's oh, it. Gosh. I can't even look at it. It's gonna make me throw up. You want me to wash it off? I got some beer. Please get it out of you. Oh my gosh! It's only like <coughs> one little piece of tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh my gosh! Okay, now that oh. I can talk, <laughs> my oh. stomach hurts. Me too. Oh man! <laughs> so we did our pre-podcast routine of getting all of our burps out of the way. So we have clean audio. Cliff lays out a burp. Next thing we know, he's throwing up in my driveway. <laughs> it's not throw up. It's, it's, like, little, it's a little bit throw up. It's, it was a little bit. It's a little bit. I would, chunky. I would constitute it more as cud. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that is. It's what goats and cows do in order to process their food better. Yeah. You're not a goat or a cow, though. Dude, that was vomit. <laughs> no. Just bring it back up, and then you reach you. Oh, God. Just swallow oh, it. God. <laughs> just let it go. No, I don't want to talk about it more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. Uh huh. We talk about hunting, fishing, and the great outdoors. And apparently, doo doo. And Cliff likes to talk about doo doo a lot. <laughs> and apparently, vomit too now. We are missing Ian tonight, but we have Jamie with us tonight. We do. Our Jamie. Jordan. Yeah. Jordan. <laughs> it's Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, also, you know, I did the vote on the whole H hole thing. How'd it go? I checked it. It was 100% people like it. No, not the last time. There were two no votes, and there were like six yes votes, but like four of the six yes votes were like Honey Hole Angling Crew. Six still beats four. Two to two. Also, like 80 people saw it, and like only 
like eight people voted and half of those votes were honey hole angling. So they they don't they don't care. Uh I don't <clears throat> necessarily know about that. I think I think H hole's a little too edgy. Personally, I think it's funny for a couple episodes, but I think we need like a legitimate audience name. Yeah. Send in your <coughs> suggestions if you have any ideas. Like the ha ha crew. Yeah. You I know. don't know. No. No. <laughs> if you guys have a good idea, please submit. <laughs> please submit it to us. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been chewing on this one for a while. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) All right, guys. Tonight, straight into the whiskey review, we are drinking Mm -hmm. Scotch Highland Park 12 Viking Honor. It is a legit cool bottle. It is a cool bottle. A Viking whiskey. Yeah, I don't know if Vikings made it. And um, based on our uh, expert review from our app, which I need to get these, uh, our whiskeys that we've had posted because I'm keeping a list on this app. Uh, Expert review by Stephanie Moreno. Uh, Score of a 91. Description is, Highland Park is renowned for the peat they use in their exclusive use of ex-sherry casks. The climate on the Ornke Islands is quite windy and sea-swept, creating a dismal environment for trees. As such... Um, peat bogs have more heather, grass, and plants than those. Um, let's see. Highland Park 12, first release in 1979. Use about 20% first fill, uh, sherry cast. Name change and bottle update in 2017. Tasting note to sweet aroma is very inviting and draws you closer, in closer to inspect the dram. The honey and vanilla fragrance turns on the palate replaced by grass and pineapple. A lemon twist or two comes next with the peat smoke just teasing your senses. No, I get a lot of peat. On the tail end especially. Let's see. Have you had this before? Oh, yeah, I like this one. I bought this one on my last trip to Wyoming. Gotcha. I smell a lot of peat in it too. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's good. I do get the vanilla. I don't get the pineapple. I don't get as much fruit, yeah. It wasn't like that one that we tried that was like, was it banana? Tastes like banana, and you could, like, Mm -hmm. it was, like, in your face. I like it. So explain explain this to me. I I don't know much about scotch. What's the difference between, like, scotch and bourbon? Scotch (laughs) comes from Scotland. That's mm-hmm. the only difference? Uh, kind of. <clears throat> Scotch from Scotland. Bourbon has to be made pretty much in America. Uh, bourbon has to use a new charred oak barrel. So nothing else can be an aged in it before. Uh, Scotch has to use used barrels. Scotch has peat in it, which is like the mud and the dirt that comes around the area in Scotland. Uh, bourbon has to have a mash bill of at least 51% corn. Um <clears throat> Scotch can have a mash bill. I think it's pretty much anything. They can put uh, barley, oats, rye. They can kind of do whatever they want as long as it's <clears throat> made in Scotland and aged in used barrels. What an expert. Now, my my th- here's my thing. Why I like drinking I like drinking Scotch more than bourbon than most people. Uh, I know Zach is more of a bourbon guy. For sure. My take on it is I like – the reason I like Scotch – 
is because I get a wider variety of different profiles, whereas bourbon, you know, being more restrictive, a lot of bur- <laughs> like I pick up a bourbon, I know I'm drinking a bourbon. Yeah, um, bourbon scotch. is sweeter typically because of that corn mm-hmm. and the the caramelization that happens when they char the oak anyway. Scar- scotch to me has a wider variety of like tastes and profiles and so for me i like trying scotch because it's like you never it's like a mystery box you never know what you're gonna get (laughs) and the good thing is like there's some really good scotches and i'll try some that i'm like not a fan of at all whereas like bourbon if it's a bourbon you know obviously there's better than worse bourbons but bourbon see i'm kind of like for me i know most bourbon i'm gonna try i'm gonna like there's a few that i don't like but with scotch the vast majority i think are just kind of okay but then there's a few that I'm like are some of my favorite pours out of everything, you know. But for me, scotches definitely, for at least the ones I've experienced, definitely show their price. You know what I mean? Like a higher price scotch definitely uh, tastes better than like a lower price scotch for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. But I like it. What do you guys think? I bought it and I've been drinking on it. I've enjoyed it. I don't. Um, I don't think that it's bad. I don't think they should call it a Viking scotch because Vikings drink mead. <laughs> Viking, it's not a Viking scotch. It's called Viking Honor. Yeah, so it's honoring the Vikings. <laughs> it's a cool bottle, but yeah, um, <clears throat> I don't buy much scotch. So, um, all right, questions. Uh, will cast your faith be on the podcast again? Uh, I can't. Don't know that far in the future, but I'd like to have Cast Your Faith on. Have like, like a long form? Like a longer <coughs> form podcast mm-hmm. than what we had them on for the... Uh, I know that they either just had or are planning on having a men's retreat. So mm-hmm. it'd be worth talking to Clay again about it. Oh, okay. And I know that they've been ramping them up pretty regularly here. Okay. So I don't know. If they just did it, then I know that there's probably one coming down the pike again. Okay. Um, next question is, what are some of your bucket list fish and why? And I know we've kind of covered this before, but it's been a <coughs> while, so we can kind of run through it. Um, <clears throat> why don't we do, like, one bucket list fish and one bucket list hunt to keep Cliff involved? <laughs> No, I got a bucket list fish. It's still a grayling. A grayling. For That's some right. reason, I still just want to. And wanna... it surprises me every time you say it. But grayling are super sweet, but it's not what most people would consider a bucket list fish. Yeah, but it's just, it's the type of fish that's <coughs> just enough out of reach that is an attainable bucket list. I'm not saying that there's not other fish on there, mm-hmm. but I would say I have almost just as much chance of catching a tarpon as I do a grayling. Right, because you have to go somewhere. You have to actively seek it in order to get it. Right, and there's just something about the fin (coughs) that I really like and the coloring. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. that purpley gray. They're pretty fish. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Zach? Uh, Oh, Cliff Hunt. What's your hunt? Bucket list hunt. um, Again, trying to keep it somewhat realistic. It's probably... A Rocky Mountain elk archery hunt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of keep it, it's realistic that I, <laughs> it's could, attainable. I could do it, but it's not like something that I really have the opportunity to do like right now right. or anything like that. Yeah. Um, there's definitely other hunts and stuff and other fish even that I would put as higher than those two for me, but are a little bit more like, cost prohibitive and 
more issues surrounding it. Yeah. yeah. Like I would love to do like a a tar hunt in the Middle East or do a Cape Buffalo or something archery, but that's there's a lot of work and money that goes in on that that I just I don't see it happening. So yeah. to be realistic of like a true goal, a smart goal, so to say, I stick with the grayling and a Rocky Mountain elk, elk. Yeah. for sure. What about you, Zach? Uh, peacock bass. Oh. <clears throat> I'm kind of like with Cliff. It's attainable, especially if I go to like Florida uh, to get one. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I ever saw a peacock bass, though, I loved it. I think they're beautiful fish. They're super cool. Uh, they fight hard, and I would just love to catch one. Um so that's on my list. I mean, obviously, it'd be cool to catch one what in the Amazon, but realistically, it's probably gonna be in Florida. Mm. Um, for hunting, right now, my bucket list is a good size axis buck. Um, I love axis meat, and I think buck axis just look great. And if I was ever gonna put one in our, in our house, it would be a euro mounted axis buck. And um, I don't know that axis cape is just so pretty though. It I might want to keep. Well, so what? I, what I'd probably do is I euro mount the skull because for me, like, I'm not a huge fan of like uh, full on shoulder mount, shoulder mounts or anything. I love a euro mount. I think it looks clean. I think it looks nice. And then I'd probably ke- uh, cape out the the hide and turn it into something like a rug or a throw or something like that. You know. Yeah, that's. Um, but yeah, those are my my two right now. And I know the Axis Buck isn't like I could probably get one in the next couple of years if I really went after one. Yeah, but it, it realistically to do a true Axis Buck, you're probably going to have to pay right. a good unless chunk I of just change. know somebody who has a hill country property right. and is cool with me taking a buck. You know, right? Um, but yeah, so that's my those are my two. But I I do know someone who paid like I think it was like five grand. Really, to get like for, a trophy axis. trophy axis. Yeah. I've looked around. They're like 25 to 3 if you want like a management one, which even are still pretty nice looking uh, bucks. But I just, that's a lot of money to yeah, pay. Yeah, that's, that's why I haven't done it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go, you guys went realistic. I'm going to go pretty unrealistic. Okay. Just to change things up. Um, Bucket list fish for me. Uh. I'm going to do more bucket list trip, and we talked about this before, but Mongolia yep. is my bucket list trip. Yeah, but sure. you can catch grayling, grayling on that trip, pike, too. Grayling, pike, which is what everyone goes for. That would be like the bucket list fish on that trip would be a timon. Um But, yeah, that that would be my fishing trip. Um, I know it's probably about like seven, $8,000, which is... If I could swing the money, I definitely would yeah. do that trip as well. Um Bucket list hunt would be a moose hunt, like an Alaskan, like a Alaska moose hunt or something. I heard of. I talked to a guy that once did a uh, like a week long float in Alaska. They fished their way down and then they would hunt. The as thi- well, the only reason a, a moose, because I think a moose would still be pretty realistically, I'd pay for a moose hunt. But I think the issue with it is that it's predominantly going to be done in Alaska, and there's a lot of regulations on. Uh, where, you having, where you can hunt, guy or has to be a local guide. It can't be DIY and all this other stuff that go into it. That makes it a little bit more like cost prohibitive and just beyond my expertise of how to go about it. Yeah, no, no, I get that, but 
Uh, I would say it's on my bucket list for one day in my lifetime. Well, that's what a bucket list is. Is like if, if you're going to do one thing, like what is your top tier, you know? Yeah, but I think like the thing is I can still be happy with my careers in both fishing and in hunting without going to Mongolia and without collecting a moose. I do really want to, and it's like, would kind of push it over the top for me of saying, like, I've definitely done this, my grayling and an elk. Like, you could me. die a happy man if you had a grayling under your belt and you had an elk archery hunt under your belt. Yes. I get that. Yeah. Like, it, a moose and a Mongolia would be icing on the cake, but the cake itself would be... Right, right, right. Like, that's, like, perfect in a perfect world, but yeah. also, like, if that never happened, you'd be okay with that. And for you, that's like... See, eh. for me, I see it... Like, I want to do an elk hunt, but I see that as pretty realistic and like um i'm just trying to think smart goal oriented I, yeah. on it <laughs> always gonna have dreams man hey yeah. if you attain them you go to the Dream next one. big cliff let's do a moose hunt people hunt on an island and <laughs> <laughs> wasn't there a book about that once that we read in middle school <laughs> yeah the most dangerous game i read it in ninth grade we're a little behind i'll say well no i'm gonna say I'll say, <laughs> middle school seems pretty early to read that book <laughs> that it's actually still one of my like favorite, favorite. stories i've ever read what about you, Jordan? You don't really fish or hunt, but... Uh, okay, so I'll tell you what, because I don't fish. However, my favorite fish that I always wanted to catch was a shark. Mm-hmm. I actually uh, caught a shark. But is a shark technically a fish? I count it as one, because I'm not a fisherman, all right? So I mean, I think I was, that's a great goal. I actually was... Uh, my wife's family lives in Alaska, so we're up there. We took a raider boat out halibut fishing, um, which was a blast. I mean, probably one of the most f- fun times I ever had. And uh, ended up pulling in a shark, a little four foot sand shark. So that's awesome. That was fun. Yeah. That's that's, that's, awesome. that's about the best fishing store I have. Um, so I guess hunt um, elk in Colorado. I'm from Colorado and got deer from there, but it'd be cool to catch an elk. Catch, catch an elk. You're going to catch it. I'm going to catch it and then kill it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to trap it. That's trap right. It and that's then right. Kill it. Um. Cool. You guys uh, do anything fun the last week, last weekend? Fishing, hunting, prepping? No. no. It's slow right now. Like, I've been going crazy. Like, go f- there's nothing for me to do right now. Go fishing. <clears throat> it's also been raining a lot, though, too. Like, oh, yeah. Been raining so yeah. But. Which I, I do want to go fishing, like, sometime soon. I want to be out on the water and actually go fish. I'm going to try to fish I every prefer- day next week. Would prefer to go down to the coast and chase yeah. some reds or something like that, but right now it really doesn't matter. I'm just getting the itch to go fish. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You, Zach, you said you're going to fish every day next week. I try to, except for I'm going to go uh, to Dallas to see a Rangers game, a Giants and the Rangers play. Nice, uh, but you don't, you don't have work next week. Yeah. No. Yeah, so I'm going to fish every day. That I don't go see baseball. That's just. Next couple of weeks, just going to be fishing and baseball. Nice. <laughs> I wish I had a teacher schedule. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Hey, so what trips do you guys have planned this summer? Because on the podcast update, we said we have some cool trips planned. Mm-hmm. What's everybody got on the calendar? So that way our listeners can look forward to what we got going on. Uh, a couple of weeks, <clears throat> I'm going on a trip. We're going, um, going to the Smoky Mountains, going to fish and camp a little bit there. 
uh, doing the bourbon trail for a couple days and then going to go see the Mets and the Yankees play up in New York. Is that like a backpacking trail? Uh, no, we're, we're actually camping (laughs) right on, uh, uh, my dad has a little pop-up. We're camping right on the river in the Smokies. So that'd be cool. I was talking about the bourbon trail. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just backpacking. You just go right from the Smokies, right? (laughs) Uh, so yes, I'm excited for that. That'll be awesome. The bourbon, are you going to bring back some good bourbons? Try to. Yeah. Try to find some stuff you can't find here. Um, but yes, that'll be a fun trip. And then three weeks later, uh, Kendall and I are doing like a 14 day cross country trip. We're going to Boulder for a few days, going to fish. We got an Airbnb right on the right on Boulder Creek, and then we're going to go up to Yellowstone. We're staying in West Yellowstone. Uh, I made the mistake of looking for a guide way too late, and uh, so now there's not really anything we can do. But we're just going to try- Yellowstone, Yellowstone, Madison River, everything. There, everything's booked. I have a couple more places I need to call tomorrow, but for the most part, everything every place is booked, and so we're just going to um, DIY it. And uh, pick some brains and, and try to do that. Mm. So, cross your fingers, it works out. Yeah. But and, and the so many people go there and DIY it. I'm not worried that we're not going to catch fish or anything. It just would have been nice to to be able to float to Madison or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to do a float trip. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to catch a Yellowstone cutthroat. That needs to be, like, on your uh, Number one, I love cutthroat anyway, so it's definitely You can catch a Yellowstone cutty in Yellowstone. Yeah. That would be. Are there any uh, graylings in that area? I know there's grayling in Montana. I don't know specific rivers. Yeah, I mean, you look at that too. Have you caught a grayling? I've not. That's it. Like, I would love to catch one. It's not like my top right now, but um, if we could, within a couple hour drive, be on uh, like a a grayling river, I'd love to do it. Yeah, I accidentally caught a grayling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Wyoming last summer, didn't know they were in that river. The fly shop that I talked to didn't know they were in that river. I showed them the picture. They're like, "You caught that? Where?" They're like, <laughs> "What are you fishing for?" Uh, just trout. Okay. Yep. And then caught a grayling, and I was like, "What?" I was super pumped because I didn't know they were there. <laughs> They're char too, aren't they? Yep. Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, I got in two weeks. Uh, floating the Smith River. Okay. In Montana, going to be a sixty-mile float, five days, four nights. Uh, it's going to be a good time. We talked with um, Mike Geary a couple podcasts ago, so you guys want to learn about that trip. We spoke with him and. Yeah, that's gonna be. I'm really looking forward to that trip. I need to go on that trip. So, so are you? Been crazy. Are you guys going to? Um, so it's 60 miles. So you guys camping along the river as you go? Yep. That's awesome. Yep. I'm in the process right now of getting a drone permit so I can take my drone down the river. Ooh, okay. Because it. Do you it's, have to have a permit for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. If you have a drone, you have to have a permit. Do you have a permit for the drone here? No, I don't fly in places I'm not supposed to though. Like in state parks and stuff like that? You have to have it registered. You have to have it registered and have a permit. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I fly it in places that I'm allowed to fly it. you got to be real careful. I can't even fly one in my parking lot. It just lands on the roof. <laughs> That's right. So. you got a drone looking down. Yeah, I'm, I'm real careful about um, where it's flown and stuff like that. I know some people I work with, uh, they get to use drones for the work that we do. And uh, their drones will let, won't even let them take off in an area that is not permitted. That's cool. Interesting. Yeah, it's like GPS located. Mm-hmm. So if you're like in a flight zone or something, uh, or like certain area that's restricted to fly drones, you, it won't even let you take off. Yeah, which huh. is real interesting. I'm assuming they're do- using them for your work to inspect roofs. Yes. Interesting. Yep. Um. 
And so, yeah, you if, if you guys have a drone, you'll have to be careful and know the regulations. Uh, I know in, like, public land specifically, if you're taking a drone to public land, you need to have a permit. So just that's a that's a good rule of thumb. And then, obviously, you shouldn't fly them near airports. No. Military bases. You should not invade people's privacies. So, uh, but um, I got approved for a permit. Um, the guy who runs the state park in uh, for the Smith River um, was supposed to email me the application. He already said we could do it. Uh, he already said I could take one because of Honey Hole Angling mm-hmm. as commercial use for oh, like cool. our YouTube channel. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I have to follow the regulations, mm-hmm. um, which and he was supposed to send me the application, but I never received it. So. How much I'm does a permit cost? I don't think it costs anything. I wasn't under the impression that it costs anything. I think it's just the paperwork of yeah. like, this is why I'm flying a drone, and then this is like, these are the rules you have to follow to be able to fly. But I think they want to know who's flying drones. Well, then your drone has a number on it too, right? Yes. Oh, that's part of it. That way, in case something does happen, they can track you down, essentially. Yeah. yeah. That's real interesting. Like if you crash it into an eagle's nest. I've heard that the uh, there's like a drone flyer's license, um, but apparently it's like really difficult test. A lot of like a pilot's, to get your pilot's license, a lot of the same things that are on your pilot's license are on like this drone license. Mm-hmm. Like you have to understand how to and read And there's things. some places that won't let you fly a drone without having that license. Gotcha, okay. So, but... Mine's not like a big commercial drone where a lot of people have like these huge commercial drones for like filming professional footage. Yeah, because yours is like a foot by a foot. Yeah, it's pretty small. So I don't have the time to do that either and keep up with it either. And it's probably not worth the cost because I think it's a couple thousand dollars to Oh, yeah. That's ridiculous because the drone itself is a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, mine was a thousand, just like base drone. But like the big commercial, like... TV commercial drones and, like, where you get all this, like, really crazy footage for, like, TV shows and stuff like that, those are serious drones. I mean, those are big, serious drones. Mm. Um, and I think over a certain size, you have to have a license to be able to fly. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't know all the ins and outs. I just know that I'm careful about where I fly it, and that therefore that's why I'm getting a permit to uh, to take it down the Smith. Yeah. So... Do you have to have one when you fly down, like, the Guad or anything? Um, I've never flown on the Guad. I haven't checked into it. Um, I know that, like, if we're talking about a state park, I'd have to have permission to fly it, like, Guadalupe State Park. Where'd you and Jack fly it? We flew it on the Lano, but it was not in the state park. So, um that's something I need to do better. I, I always check before. Like, if I'm going to go somewhere I know I'm going to fly, I'm always checking to make sure I'm not breaking any rules. Um, but I don't know the, the real specific ins and outs of it. So, But, yeah, I got a Smith River trip, and I might have some other stuff that I'm still planning going on for this summer. And you're going to Florida for a week? Yeah, but it's just a family vacation and some. You going to take a fishing rod? Uh, I'll probably take uh, eight weight with me. Yeah, cover uh, all your bases. Set up, fish just, the surf because I know you're gonna be on the beach. Yeah, I'll probably just fish the surf. Uh, might take it pretty lightheartedly. I'm also gonna take all my free diving gear. Yeah, are you flying or driving? I'm driving. Okay, so you gonna bring any like spin rods too? No. Nah. Yeah, 
I only own I own one, stuff. one like bait caster yeah. and then one spin reel uh-huh. uh, that I'll use very, very rarely. Yeah. I mean, I had a trip that got canceled that I was going to go down to Corpus and fish the piers, mm. and I w- didn't even feel truly prepared for that with what I have. Yeah. So I think that those rods are just going to be messing around for bass occasionally, yeah. like if it's a work tournament or something like that yeah i'd rarely pull them out they're in pretty rough condition as it is i don't take care of them Mm. uh fly rods i do take care of and i'll probably just take my eight weight in some small box of flies or and set up stuff but i'll also take down my free diving gear the little that i do have and i'll probably toying with the idea of buying uh one of those Hawaiian slingshot style spears. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh just to kind of swim around and see if I can't get something that way. But I don't know all the regulations and everything surrounding it. So I doubt that I'll buy one. One thing I was uh thinking about and this would be a good conversation for us to have. Uh would be cool if our listeners were interested in us trying an outdoor activity that we have not tried before. Uh, so kind of like a free diving thing, like a, kind of like a free, f- uh, free diving thing, or like yeah, because scuba diving or like bird watching. Like I'll, if people are like, "Hey, you guys should try this and tell us how it goes," I would be way down to try something new. I'm super interested in getting my scuba license mm-hmm. and doing some scuba work. I'm also extremely interested in spear fishing. And like doing the free diving thing, but it's not like really super conducive where we live. Mm. I know there's a couple of places that you can go and do some stuff, but it's not like I'm going to go take a trip to go swim in the river. I'd much rather do it on the coast again, like still, just like I think it'd be cool to do the river and do like do invasives like go tilapia, yeah, spearing, and then like have a big tilapia fry. That'd I think cool. it, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I just I I'd say out of the four of us on the podcast, I probably have the most experience in it because I've dealt with it once. But that's all the experience. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not even saying like I don't even know how, how to hold my breath correctly. Yeah, yeah. I would be. Uh, I I was scuba certified at one point. I would have to get recertified. I did one dive. If do you would you have to go through the whole process again? I would want to because it's been so long. I would be willing to well, we'll do that with you. Yeah, well, let's talk about it. But my whole point in saying was like, if our listeners are interested in us trying a new outdoor activity that we haven't tried before, I am one hundred percent down to all of us get together. Let's do it. I think too. What would be fun would, and I've told you guys this already. We should enter a golf scramble and see how we do, just oh, yeah, for yeah. kicks and giggles. I think we need to play a golf game. Yeah. Well, someone also asked for us to do an archery tournament, too. We could do that, too. Yeah. Yep. I'm down for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Oh, I have a story for you, Cliff. Someone told me about how they blew up their bow. Oh, Lord. It wasn't me. <laughs> and I'm 100% sure at this point that I did not blow up Evan's bow. You're 100% sure. All right, 98% sure. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, this person asked not to be named, so I'll respect that. Um, it was at TAC 
Total Archery Challenge. They blew it up at TAC? At TAC. So um, this person had been shooting TAC. They put in a lot of practice to go to TAC, and they had shot like nine or ten um, targets, I guess, at this point, and uh, was shooting very well up until this point. I think he said on number 11, the 11th target he went up to shoot, you know, got his range, got everything set up, pulled back on his bow, got his sights lined up, released, and his bow blew up. <laughs> what happened was he went through all the motions except putting an arrow oh, in that, his bow. That comes into, like, your process. Mm-hmm. Like, that step one of your process Go is on. knock an arrow. Mm-hmm. Step number one. <laughs> so all that tells me is that this person, no matter how good they are, how much they practice, how much they shoot or whatever, they're not practicing enough to solidify their process. Now, granted, I will say, People mess up and things happen, but that is legitimately. Well, shoot, I would say, I would say for me, how many times have you gone to shoot a gun and you forgot to put the safety off? A lot, but that's it's the same. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's not as solidified in me to always pull that safety off. But that's also like more times is your safety going to be on than off. I've never not been able to shoot at an animal because my safety's off or on mm-hmm. at this point. I've had my safety on in like clay rounds and stuff trying to be safe and then I come up mount the gun shoot lo and behold safety is on. Mm-hmm. I find that to be a little bit more Forgiving, like oopsie, dumb. I kind of see dumb mistake. Forgetting to put an arrow, knock. I I do not. It is the same thing. If you talk to anyone, it's all any archer harps on process, 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 process. No, because I don't, everything is. I don't disagree with you on that. I know every archer I've talked to is like solidify your process. But how many times, even in practice, have you messed up one step of your process? I'm not saying that there's not a mess up, mm-hmm. but that is one hell of an issue to mess up because mm-hmm. so much is dependent on that arrow being in there. And if you are a archer at all, you know, especially shooting compound, that there is an extremely high likelihood if there's not an arrow in there, that your bow is going to blow up. Now, <clears throat> did they put the arrow in the bow at all or just didn't even mm-hmm. put in the, the whisker Forgot biscuit or anything? Forgot that step 100%. Because yeah. I, I won't. I mean, I mean, obviously, it happened. It just seems cr- – it blows my mind to think that that would happen. You know what I mean? This is how, this is how like, detail-oriented I get into my process is – I make sure that my body, my number one step is my body is in a position that I'm stable. 
So my first step, if I'm shooting at a range... No, I, I, I get... You don't have to go through your whole process. I understand that you have a process and that you practice that process over and over and over and over again. I'm just saying that I'm not going to... Har- I think it's a good story to learn from, just like your story was a good story to learn from as far as having a bow blow up. Different scenario, but still a good story for everyone to learn from. But I also don't think it's, you know, out of the realm of possibility um, that someone could miss a step in their process. I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility. I'm just saying that if you solidify your process even more, that that is something that should not happen. Because it's not like a forget me my foot's out of place type thing. It's uh, I forgot to put around. How many times have you ever shot a gun purposefully or not pers- purposefully putting a round in? That stepping up without the ammunition is what it is. Whether it be, I don't step up. I've never stepped to a clay booth for five stand or drawn a rifle up on a deer or practiced a rifle at the range or anything like that without putting ammunition in the gun. It's that's what the arrow is, is that is your ammunition. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think it's that, a pretty important step. I don't disagree with you there. I just think that this person and I'm trying not to harp I, I do think that people forget things and stuff like that, but Step number one, like I'll go through mine quickly. quickly. Step number one is make sure that I'm solid. My footing is where I need it to be or my knees are where they need it to be if I'm taking a kneeling position or I'm seated how I need to be if I'm taking a seated position shot. Step two is I pull an arrow out and I knock it. Step three is I raise my rest. Step four is I raise my bow. Step five is I draw my bow across my body. Step six, I find my anchor point. Step seven, look through the peep into the sight housing. Step eight, let my pin hover. Step nine, release. Step ten, let down the bow. Step eleven, clean. No, that would be go collect. Step twelve. Go collect. Step twelve. Um, oh, rubber glove. 13. That's step 13. Step 14, stick it in the booty hole. <laughs> <laughs> the, glove. the glove. Which brings me to another question. <laughs> no, no, we are not asking that question that was submitted. I think that's a solid question. No, 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 no. no. You talk about booty holes too much no. on the podcast as it is, and you vomited in my driveway, so I'm going to take... You're like over three. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm human, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our articles. Y'all ready? Yep. All right. All right. Who's going first? I'll go first since I got a meat stick in what you, my mouth. What are you doing? What are you doing tonight? I am doing a. I hope it's not conservation. No, I'm doing uh, on patrol. All right, then here we go. Uh, paw patrol. No, that's a. Uh, that's trade your... trademark. Mm. That was a four four. Forty and slip. Forty and slip. Yeah. Don't do the crime if you can't pay the fine. 
This is a Texas Game Wardens article from Kicks105.com. Two Cherokee County Game Wardens responded to a call about a deer someone found shot in the roadway. A witness gave description a description of a vehicle that he saw near the area. Investigating into the night and into the next day, the wardens found two suspects who confessed to killing the deer with a 12-gauge shotgun from the roadway at night. One of the suspects had a suspended hunting license before, <clears throat> because he failed to pay a civil restitution on a previous deer charge from a year ago. The case is still pending. So, in summary, dude's poached another deer because he's already been fined once mm-hmm. that he didn't pay. Dude poached a deer from a roadway with 12-gauge and then got called again. Now, what are they going to do with that? Take his hunting. It's already on a suspended license, so apparently licensing doesn't matter to him. No. I would take his license away for life. So they didn't, they never gave a mention of actually what. No, they they said the case was still pending. What the punishment is going to be. Right. That'd be it. This is an interesting conversation. What should the punishment be? Cliff, what's your take? I think that the... Is taking away his license for life going to deter him from doing the same thing again in the future? Obviously not, but you take away his right to hunting because clearly he abuses it. Let me put down the meat stick. Um, Sorry. We have deer jerky with us, and it's been pretty good. Um, Obviously, hunting without a license isn't going to face him. Mm-hmm. But... He abuses the right, so he shouldn't have the right to it in general. And B, even if he had a license, shooting a deer from a roadway is highly illegal in general. So that's another thing, like having a license or not, you still would have been fined. It's Mm -hmm. still considered poaching, still highly illegal in the hunting world. So C, I, or... I say he loses his rights to hunting because he can't give the resource the respect it's due or respect his fellow hunters and heavy fines. Now, what the fines are, that's up to the state of Texas. I don't know what they're going They can also confiscate his equipment and and his guns. They they probably should. I mean, I'm I'm not one for gun confiscation or anything like that, but they probably should. Because when people's a, fishing gear get confiscated all the time for illegally I, catching fish. I feel and like if he's a repeat offender, doesn't is hunting on a suspended license. I mean shoot people's boats and trucks have been confiscated. Yeah. I think that they that it should be confiscated, but I also think that he should face heavy financial penalties. Now, clearly, he doesn't pay those penalties, but eventually that catches up with you, and then you got a warrant out for your arrest. Mm-hmm. So eventually, he keeps on down this road. He's going to serve time. Yeah. But that's just my, my two cents and my thought process on it. It just seems like when I was doing a lot of uh, the On Patrol articles, when I listen to other podcasts, and they talk about people poaching or like breaking wildlife. It seems like the penalties are all, all over the place. 
and someone will do something like the ducks you talked about last week seem like a little slap on the wrist for what had actually happened. Um, and yeah, because I'll they hear, let him keep at least a three-day limit on that, which was weird to me <laughs> right. because clearly, like, you overdid it on all of them. Yeah. Right. And one of the guys didn't even have a license. Yeah, you would think in that case they would have taken everything. And neither one of them had a duck stamp. Yeah. yeah. No, it seems like to me, I when I hear these stories, some of them are like slap on the wrist, you know, this is this is the deal, and then some are just like some people just get thrown the book on the smallest little things, and I'm just like, it doesn't seem like to be any consistency in penalties for wildlife crime. Right. I think no, that's I agree. my biggest issue. That's I've always yeah, it's it's crazy. It's how like one I'm, side or the other, and it's like the people that shouldn't be, you know, penalized as hard. It seems like the people that like. Well, they probably take a number of things into consideration. But I do think, like, in this case, or even the duck case, like, that's well far in beyond. That's willful disobedience, willful neglect, and willfully doing something that you know is illegal. Mm -hmm. So in those two instances, I would say, the first set, the duck hunters should have gotten everything taken away, probably got their guns taken away and faced a, p- a penalty. This guy, because he clearly doesn't care, should get his licensing taken away, yeah. not allowed to buy another hunting license for at least a set period of time, if not life. Guns taken away, or hunting rifles taken away at least, and face a severe penalty. It also probably depends on who your judge is, too. You know what I mean? Just because, like, there's probably no set guideline of, like, if X happens, this is the repercussion. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like shooting one duck over a limit, not saying, like, you shoot seven over six, but you shoot one more male mallard over whatever because you can't necessarily tell it in the sky at the time because you're wrong. Yep. Yeah, or you counted wrong. I feel like those should be like the slap on the wrist type things, or maybe a fine of like a hundred, a couple hundred bucks, or whatever it might be. Right. Or someone forgot a stamp. They have their license, they have all their other stuff, but then there's like this one little thing they forgot to. Well, check especially the with a duck stamp, where it's like it has to be within a certain you know time frame. Granted, like as hunters, no, it doesn't necessarily have to be within a time frame. You buy one in the first like preliminary stamp. Uh uh-huh. Is for a time. St- like a time frame, and then they send you your actual stamp, and it's good for the rest of the season. Oh, okay, that was my misunderstanding because I never duck hunted. I always thought like you buy you bought your stamp, and you're like, okay, I know I'm gonna duck hunt within these three weeks or whatever it is, and that's all I can get. No, it's not like buying a three day fishing license gotcha. out of state. Okay, it's, I did not. That's my bad. You get a preliminary that's good until X date, but normally by then your stamp is actually in your physical stamp. And you just affix it to your license, sign it, and you're good. You're good. Okay, that makes sense. Actually, makes more sense. Which you need to make sure you get a migratory stamp for for our crane this next year. Yeah, yeah, I always buy it and I never use it. I, I, I think, know my money is going to conservation. I think I'll any, buy a stamp. I think any <laughs> hunter should buy a duck stamp because it preser- it preserves a lot. Yes, it goes predominantly towards. There is a wetlands. significantly large number of people who buy duck stamps that don't hunt mm-hmm. them, and they just buy them. Because it's the main source of conservation and wetlands. How much is a duck stamp? Like $25, $35. Mm. It's cheap. Yeah. 
All right. The issue is you get into it, you got to buy it per state, and then you got to buy a federal, and states vary widely. I think Texas is fairly cheap for the state stamp, mm-hmm. but then the federal stamp is like $25, $35. Gotcha. All right, I'm ready, Zach. C4, Cliff's Cool Conservation Corner, presented by Landon. <laughs> presented by Landon. <laughs> so, um, conservation, 12 conservation success stories for endangered species. Okay. Um, I'm just going to get into some cool stories uh, um, about how conservation has impacted specific species. I'm not going to do all 12. Um, I'm just going to do the ones that are the most interesting to me. Sounds so, good. Number one, bald eagle. By the early 60s, the count of nesting bald eagles plummeted to about 480 today with some 14,000 breeding pairs in the skies over North America. The bald eagle endures as a testament to the strength and undeniable moral correctness of the Endangered Species Act. So it was in the 60s, we had, you said 480? 480. And now we have 14,000 breeding pairs. So 28,000. Yeah. And... uh yeah. Um, that's, uh, I know there's some disagreement cool. on the Endangered Species Act. That might be another topic for that might be a topic for another day. But um uh anyway, American alligator by the fifties, the American alligator had been hunted and traded in near extinction. Captive breeding and strong enforcement of habitat protections and hunting regulations have contributed to its resurgence. Alligators now number around five million. Uh, from North Carolina through Texas with the largest populations in Louisiana and Florida. Green sea turtles. In 1990, fewer than 50 green sea turtles were documented nesting in the National Wildlife Refuge on Florida's east coast. This 20-mile stretch of beach beach hosted more than 10,000 green sea turtles in 2013, making this one of the greatest conservation success, success stories of our time. Okay. This thing printed weird. Like, see how it printed? Oh, yeah. It's kind of nice, though. Well, it was all, like, in a nice list, but then it's like... Now, yeah, but now you got some fancy, I, got, uh, I don't know, angles to look at. Yeah. Um, the Channel Island fox. Three species of fox native to the Channel Islands off of the coast of California were near extinction in 2004 when they were granted protections um, under the Endangered Species Act. Today, Santa Rosa Island, um, Santa Cruz Island... Uh, foxes have recovered and removed from the endangered species list in 2016. Um, the humpback whale. Commercial whaling nearly drove humpback whales into extinction, uh, slashing their population from around 125,000 individuals to a mere 1,200 in 1966. Uh, thanks to protections... Um, Via the uh, Marine Mammal Protection Act, these whales have recovered dramatically to more than 21,000 today. These whales? Yeah, humpback whales. were down to uh, 1,200 in the 60s, and uh, today's numbers are around 21,000. That's awesome. Um, the whooping crane. This one's our neck of the woods. Ooh. I've actually seen one, so that's pretty cool. Uh, by the time the whooping crane was listed, endangered in 1967, just about 50 birds remained. Whooping cranes remain one of North America's most threatened birds due to oil and gas development and uh, collisions with aerial power lines, but the recovery to an estimated 603 birds today um, is 
uh, a testament to the progress that is made possible by conservation. And uh, last one that I'll read is the California condor. Lead poisoning from bullet fragments in um, lead bullet lead poisoning from bullet fragments and the chemical DDT nearly drove California condors to extinction extinction in the mid 20th century. The elimination of DDT um, prevented these birds from disappearing forever. California condors number as few as 10 in the wild in the 1980s and have rebounded to 435 worldwide with 237 of them flying the skies of the southwest. There's 237 right now. There's 237 up from 10. Yeah. And that's the one where there was like, what was it, uh, Ian's article a couple weeks ago where it was like 45 of them were on this lady's back porch? I don't remember that, but maybe. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. like, yeah, 45 of the California condors were on those ladies' back porches. So and she there's had, like only a couple hundred of them. Yeah, so she, she had like 25% of all of the same, <laughs> of all the birds just hanging out on her back porch. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's great. That was interesting. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think it'd be an interesting conversation from, I'm not going to talk about it without doing a lot more research. I was going to say, because I. I bet we could have some good discussions about the endangered species, and I would do some research on my end too to kind of have the flip side. I think, um, yeah, I think there's some interesting conversations around the endangered species, especially in regards to hunting. For sure. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. That'll be a teaser. That'll be a good conversation. Yeah, I do think we look into it though and have that discussion one day. I think it'll be good. Cool. All right, guys. So today I bring the story of the dingo neck. So uh, this creature is based around Lake Victoria in Africa. Um, So a lot of these names, if I butcher, I apologize. Um, However, the dingo neck is a creature, like I said, lives near Lake Victoria in Africa, kind of near Kenya, Uganda, uh, so it's kind of like central, central east Africa. Um, you guys want to take a guess of when the first viewing happened? Wadinga? Dingo neck. You said Africa? Africa. That's a hard one. I'm going to say 1950-something. Okay. 1950s. I'm going to go 1850. Okay. We'll go 1750. Dang. It was actually 1907. Oh. So that's the closest. You were the closest. By seven years. Yep. Uh, So a big game hunter named John Alfred Jordan, uh, him and his hunting party go out because, you know, apparently people would just get hunting parties back then and just go out. And um, he actually uh, encountered this crazy beast. Um, he actually wrote about it in his 1910 memoir called Enclosed Territory. So, um, this creature, the dingo neck, is really weird. It is actually like this weird reptilian mammoth uh, manatee thing. It has the face of a leopard with these two long white tusks. And it has scales that go down its back. 
And this thing is about 15 to 16 feet long. And the scales are spotted like a leopard as well. It has these two huge front paws that are about the size of a hippo, but with like claws on them. But the back end of it is actually turns into like a paddle. So like half mammal, half amphibian creature thing. Um, if you look it up, they are, yeah, it's weird. Whoa. Right? Yeah, so the dingo neck. It is super strange. Um, now, not a lot of sightings have happened. Uh, but um, what is interesting is as these people went on these expeditions, uh, multiple biologists of the time actually started to classify this as an actual animal, but they just could not find. So um, this John Alfred Jordan, he's out and about, right? He's They're on a hunting trip. They're talking about all the different animals in Africa. He's really infatuated with the okapi, which you guys have never seen. It's like a giraffe donkey. A giraffe zebra donkey. They're really weird. But um, they're out and about, and they see this huge, like, 15-foot-long creature just there in this river that leads into this Lake Victoria. And um, he runs back and tells the group that he's with, but his other partner, uh, Bronson, he's out a little bit further down the river. And as Jordan runs back to tell his group, the, his group, Bronson's down a little bit further. He sees the creature too. He runs back, and they both tell the same group of people, and they both have identical accounts of what this creature looks like. Mm. So they're in two completely different parts of this river system, but they both come back at the same time, and they tell them, like, oh, my gosh, I just saw this creature that had the face of a leopard, body of a like a weird amphibian thing, and scaly spots down its whole body. Mm-hmm. Um so, people say it's a cross between a sea serpent, a leopard, and a whale. Most people believe that it's some sort of, you know, old creature, like dinosaur-type creature that has just managed to live all these years in the in Lake Victoria because it's one of the greatest, like, largest lakes in Africa. Um, many people say that it was actually worshipped by the natives, and it was considered that what they would do is they would create huge offerings uh, in the shape of um, cows and goats and stuff, and they would burn them down and tear them down to this creature in order to have like a plentiful harvest the next year or in order to uh, really increase the size of their flocks and their herds. Um, also, back in, looks like, kind of the same around, around the same time, there was a sickness that was going through that they called the sleeping sickness. And so they would also offer an offering to the dingo neck in order to cure people and to get rid of the plague in the area. So finally guys about the dingo neck, like I said, there hasn't been a ton of sightings. Um, the only thing though, is that now after the hunting party happened in 1907, uh, the tribes around the area now consider it a crime to actually go out and hunt this creature. You can no longer Take a rifle if you're going to go out looking for the dingo neck. You have to just observe it, um, but you're not allowed to to shoot at it because that was a, that was a theme. People would go out, they'd find it, and they'd shoot at it, and they would hit it, but they wouldn't kill it. They would just maim it. Mm. So no longer allowed to do that. Are there any good pictures of it? Just the drawing ones. Mm. Anyway, no, it's no, super real. The, <laughs> no old nah, grainy photos. No old blurry grainy photos this time around. No. Nice. That was a good creature. Yeah, I thought it, it just looks weird. 
Are you the only photographer for Honey Hole? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I pretend to be a photographer. Yeah, that don't count. <laughs> yeah, why? We need some photos? I, I, I'm just trying to... Th- I was just thinking of how to get hunt uh, footage and stuff like that. Get a GoPro. I can't. I've tried it with a GoPro. I can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. So I need someone to either be videographer or photographer. I think photographer might be best for right now. Yeah, it depends on what you would do. Yeah. Math. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's uh, just kidding. Video videoing is 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 hard. Um, the issue with the GoPro is that it just doesn't zoom in enough. Yeah. I'm sorry that kind of went on a tangent, but we were talking about photo- photographs, and it just mm-hmm. struck. I've been thinking about it since I sent you that other the the podcast. Yeah. 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 All right. On to our main topic. What are we talking about tonight, Cliff? You said something about packing. <laughs> I said something about either, packing. Yeah. yeah. Either. Yeah. So with all of our trips coming up and, uh, you know, we all have too much gear that we can't count, uh, we want to talk about, like, with the process we go through, how we make sure we bring everything, and also, like, what it's like f- actually flying or just traveling with our gear. Yeah, I've done uh, some international fishing trips and a lot of flying with gear, so I have some good tips and tricks. Uh, I've flown. I've never done international, though, and I know that there's some – Different things that come with that. I've just done done international fishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hunting I know is a whole other deal, especially yeah. when you start talking about taking your own guns and stuff. That's like yeah. becomes a mess. But uh, the guys that I know that international hunt, they want to take their guns. Yeah, but they I got think them. I think starting out, the best thing to do is just go through an outfitter, and a lot of times they have guns for you. Mm-hmm. Really? In that sense, yes, and then you don't have to worry about it. Other than that, I know a lot of people check, or you have to check your your weapon, mm-hmm. but that's a whole process and pain in of itself. But it's it's manageable. In in this, if you're going in the states, it I'm, is... I'm going to drive. I don't care how far it is. Really, I'm going to drive for no. a hunting or fishing trip. No, no see, for a hunt. For oh, a hunt. really? See, I I don't think um I don't think flying with a, a firearm is that. Is that difficult? At least through Southwest, it's not. Um, you you just go there. You have to have make you sure. flown with a firearm? Yeah, my whole life. I've flown um, probably a million times with a firearm. Uh, I've never, a million, really? I've million never times. flown with a firearm. So, no, All right, so but, talk us through the process. But realistically, right? probably 15 to 20 times with a firearm. Um, you show up at the airport. You ha- Obviously, like, everyone's looking, so, you know, just do your stuff. But um, you have to have your ID, obviously. Um you know how they have a section where you drop off your bags? Mm-hmm. So at Southwest, you can drop off behind them, but you also have to carry your gun specifically to, to one to place. Check. It's the same thing with, like, golf clubs. Yep, exactly. You have to open up everything. You cannot have any, like, rounds loaded into your weapon. Uh, you cannot have anything locked. You, so you can't even have, like, a fire, like a lock going through the gun. Or you might be able to have a lock, like, going down the muzzle. But you cannot like have the case locked, um, and then they take it from you. They put a little seal on the inside of it, saying that they checked it. And then whenever you get to where you're going, you have to pick it up specifically from somebody and show them your ID. But the process is relatively simple. Um, really, granted, I'll say I haven't done it during COVID, so I can only imagine that things are more difficult now. But prior to COVID, 
You just show there, uh, get everything checked. They take it from you, and you just have to show your ID whenever you get that to where you're going. Doesn't sound too bad, actually. It's really. I don't not. think it's that bad, and I don't think. And it's then, what the do you process. do with ammunition? So the ammunition, you, I I leave it with the gun. You just Carry can't. It. You just can't. Uh, <laughs> you just can't have it loaded into like the rifle or okay. into the shotgun. How much earlier do you got to show up for the airport? I would say if it's not a busy time to fly, maybe. Five to ten minutes. Now, if it's if you're going over like probably Christmas or like a really peak time, I might give yourself thirty to forty five minutes. So it's not significantly more. Time not at all. I've, takes to I've never experienced a significant time uh, time delay That's because of it. I've never flown with a gun because I was just like, oh, this is going to be a hassle. Yeah, it's. I mean, my dad living in Tennessee, we've brought guns back and forth forever. So it's uh, yeah, it's really nothing nothing too tough. Did you did I uh, have you guys heard the story about the time I was carrying a fishing bag and they thought there was a gun in it? No. Yeah, it, through was, your through the one? Yeah, through my rod carrier. Oh, I, I had that same rod carrier too. I know. I was coming back from Belize, landed back like in Houston or something. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten off the plane, plane it was a carry-on and I was just walking and there was this, like, TSA guy. It wasn't even through, like, an inspection section. I was just, like, walking down, like, a corridor mm-hmm. with a bunch of other people. And there was this guy's like, hey, you, stop, stop, stop. I didn't know he was talking to me. It was just, like, a random guy He's yelling. Like, I didn't wasn't doing anything weird. Right. And he, he, he runs up, and he, like, taps me on the shoulder. He's like, hey, I've been telling you this. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he's like, is that a gun? Like, really loud. And, like, people start kind of, like, turning their heads. No, it's a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, like, no, this is fishing equipment. He's like, okay, okay, you can go ahead. And then I was walking away. I was like, he had the audacity to stop and ask me if a gun was in my bag then did not check to see if there was a gun in Especially my bag. Especially that assertive, too. you think you'd also just be like... Yeah, like he ran me down. you think he would just like kind of come up to you and be like, hey, I'm just double-checking. Like, do you have a firearm there? If you do, this is where you need to go, you know? But instead, like, he heightened the situation, yeah. you know? Yeah, he was he was kind of loud. And then, like, people around me were, like, looking. I'm like, dude, I don't have a gun. Like, this is, like, i coming back from a fishing trip. He's like, okay, okay, carry on. And I was walking away. I was like, he probably, like, should have looked. Yeah. They, For me to just say no, yeah. this is just fishing equipment. After him making a scene about it, yeah, for sure. Was the uh, the other thing I'll add too, though, just if we if we are helping people, is um, do not bring your ammo with you in your like on your carry person, on. yeah, on your carry on. Make sure you check it with the firearm. Mm. I always just put them in my front pocket. Do not do that. <laughs> they will definitely catch you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Don't keep any ammo with you at all. So. To me, like back when you you were like, really? Like, I think the reason is it's not that I wouldn't check necessarily a firearm Uh through to go through. Like, if that was my only option, fine. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll figure out the process. But uh, for me, I would rather, I trust me way more than I trust the airlines. Oh, yeah. And there's been tons of instances where people lose just your regular luggage. For sure. Much less with the culture that we live in that's been so mer on guns, I don't want to risk something happening to one of my firearms. The only thing I'll say is the majority of people who handle your firearm, and I'm going to speak very uh, lumping people together, the majority of people who are handling your firearm, firearms like don't have anything against your firearms. You know what I mean? It's usually yeah, usually but it's, uh, it's going to be that it's going to be that one person that's going to sure, ruin for it sure. for everything. But the TSA agent's the one checking it out. You know, it's it's uh, it's 
I almost feel like there's a level of they make sure you, your gun is taken care of, you know? Because I've been on flights where, like, they'll <laughs> lose our bag, but we'll still get our gun, you know? Um, and we get the bag the next day or whatever it is. But it's almost like because I think they have to monitor those in a different way, it's like, okay, we got the gun off the plane or we got the gun on the plane. There's more now, tracking involved where your luggage just gets thrown on a thing exactly. and you hope that it gets thrown it gets on the there. plane. However, I'm, you know... There probably are instances where people get it. Like at airlines, we all know how they are, and especially right now, I feel like they're losing luggage more, more so than they ever have before. Um, so it probably is not without risk. Personal experience, I've never had an issue with it, and I feel that they take better care of my yeah. Firearm I, would, I would than say they do I would say baggage. on a percentage scale, you're probably at least eighty percent fine to check sure. it, and nothing's sure. going to go wrong. I've never had an issue go wrong with my bags. I just know of stories where they've beat up dented uh golf clubs i know where they've mm-hmm, broken guitars sure. i know where they've done this i know where they've lost luggage and all this other stuff and a firearm is just something that i would not take that risk for if i could just Didn't drive and do it for sure this yeah i would say if you if you're you know going a couple hours and you can drive or whatever i think that's the thing to do for sure and let's be honest where we live right here you can be anywhere pretty much in the con- continental united states two three days max yeah. i think i just want to take away the stigma of flying with a firearm is impossible when the process is relatively simple yeah, that's I'm not saying if there's one takeaway is that if you are if you understand the risk that comes with any time you fly, um, there is uh, a process and it is not tough. Your first time can be a little intimidating, especially when you have everybody in the airport looking at you because you are due with a gun in an airport. But um, outside of that, the the rest of it goes pretty smoothly. Um. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour voice remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com contour. How do you explain the unexplainable? That warmth that fills you up from the inside out. Does it come from the air, the sea, the sun, the people? Or is it something that can't be put into words? Because Aruba is more than a beautiful island. It's a feeling that brings out a happier, sunnier you. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your next visit at aruba.com. Yeah, but international is different, and you have to. Look yes, into I've never it. done international, so I don't know how you that have works. Have to look into that, and that's why I said international at the beginning of this. I said internationally, I would just contact the outfitter and make sure that they had a gun. Most of them do. Like if you go South America for Dove or whatever, a lot of them have guns and stuff mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Um, and that just takes the headache away. And I bet there's some kind of insurance you could get too if you're really worried about your stuff being lost. I'm sure there's an insurance that'll cover the cost of your firearm. What? Yeah, Southwest will cover up to like two grand without any insurance, and then for a uh, firearm, for anything, for I think anything. any luggage. Yeah, they cover up to X amount. Yeah, and then you can add on extra if you need yeah. to. Also, so Southwest always- Southwest doesn't charge you to um, to check a firearm either. Oh, nice. Yeah, I don't think Delta charged me to check golf clubs mm-hmm. when I flew with golf clubs. Yeah, as long as it's within your and I bet two. the process is probably very. 
similar, yeah. like between the two of them. And it's not, it's, it's just something else you got to think about that's a little bit more of a headache. Yeah. And I think this whole thing about like traveling with equipment is think about the things that are going to be headaches and manage that situation first. And if you also can buy something when you get to where you're going, do that. Like if you can, if you're going on a hunting trip and you can buy ammo when you're going, and granted, this was pre-COVID before ammo was. Yeah, right like now it's different because everything's yeah, in such bring a shortage. It, bring your ammo with you for sure now. But um, beforehand, I w- I would agree. Like just when you get off the plane and you get to where you're going, get an Uber or something like that, and go to your local the local academy your sporting right. goods store, and they're probably going to have the ammo yeah. in stock. Right now, that's not the case. Yeah. And uh, that that advice works better for fishing than it does for. Um, than it does for hunting. Like, it, you know, buy your flies when you get there, especially if you're going to a new place. Or unless you, I mean, if you love tying flies, bring the flies you tie. But Well, and I know, like, you know, depending on where you go, Belize, for example, flies are extremely expensive. Oh, are they? There, because they have a really high import tax. Mm. And so, and they don't have all the materials there to... Tie flies. To tie flies, all the tie flies you want. So they're having to import materials. So whether you're, like... Whether they're ordering flies or whether they're ordering materials and someone's tying them there, there's an extremely high import tax cost there, and you don't have you don't get the variety of flies. So, like the couple times I've been to Belize, it's been like you want to bring your own flies. Now, there's some places though where you can't bring your own flies. You have to buy flies there because they're worried about you bringing parasites and stuff. I haven't heard that. Where where is that? I don't know. I thought I just heard somebody talk about that, and that I thought may you guys be true know. somewhere. I know some airlines won't let you take on hooks whereas when we went to belize and flew flew southwest they didn't care you could you carry on your hooks i've brought hooks on south on southwest flights it's usually not an issue yeah every once in a while i'll have to actually take out my fly box and show them what it is and normally they're like oh that's pretty cool did you tie those yourself yeah, yeah. something uh, like that or, i'm, I'm always worried you know i think it's less the airlines it's more like who's your tsa agent because i've heard people get their flies get confiscated yeah. or they're like that those flies are too big. Can't yeah. carry them on. And then it's like, well, you've already checked your bags. So you just got to throw your flies away. What I always tell people, so here's my mentality when I fly. Yeah, okay, so with, yeah, let's, let's do that. Uh, with, here's my mentality mm-hmm. when I fly with fishing equipment. Number one is all of my fishing equipment that I possibly can is being carried on the plane Yes. to my destination. Mm-hmm. On the way home, I'm tired. Maybe I don't want to carry it on. I'll check it. If it gets home a day late or something like that, or if there's, like, if I have insurance for my bags, I'm not as worried about it. But to a destination, especially one where you want to take your own equipment, where they may not have all the equipment there, take your gear with you. Clothes you can always buy. Check that bag. Mm-hmm. Um, what I tell people with flies, I have heard horror stories of people's flies not making it. Um, and so my thing is, is, like, I will check some of my flies, and I will carry on yep. some of my flies. So, like, if thing. I'm taking a couple bags uh, or a couple fly boxes, I'll be like, okay, so Belize, I need permit flies, tarpon flies, and bonefish flies. So I'll divide them evenly between two boxes so I know that at least one box mm-hmm. is going to make it. Um, um, if my flies either don't make it in the check bag or if I can't take them on the plane. Yeah. Now, I've personally never had a problem taking any flies, carrying them on an airplane, but I personally do know people who have had to throw flies away, and they spent good money on flies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So Also, to add on to that, I will say um, I typically check my hemostats because they can be conceived as a weapon um, or perceived as a weapon. And then also you che- I usually check my net as well. My net and my hemos I always check. I think I've normally checked my hemos, but my – I don't think I've – no, I think I'm 50-50 on – Emos because I've flown back to Georgia and had everything. I'd just carry on when I did that. I've had them with me a couple times. I've never asked, but I've heard kind of the same thing, reading the forums and stuff. I've heard of people having their hemos taken because of – and hemos, you know, not super expensive, but throw them in your checked luggage. Um, also, uh, if you do bring your rod on the plane, which I do recommend, uh, I have heard of people having their tube confiscated so if you can, if you have like a travel case, keep your rods in there without the tube. Yeah, I I would say if you're gonna fly, um, those rod travel cases are the best. Orvis makes one, Fish Pond makes one, Sims makes one. You can bring it on with you. It's Take super your pick. Easy. They're all the same bag. The name on the bag is the only thing that changes. Like they're basically identical, but there's a compartment for your rods. Generally, they are made. Um, to allow you to not have your rod in a tube. Those compartments are extra padded to keep your rod safe. Mm-hmm. And then you can just put your rods in the rod sock. Not all rods come with rod socks, depending on what you buy. Um, but you guys can go on Amazon and get a rod sock for like 10 bucks. They're super cheap. Put your rods in a rod sock. They're the sleeves that are individual for each piece of your rod. And then uh, pile them up in that compartment. And mm-hmm. if hey, if you and a buddy are going... You can fit all your rods for your buddy into one. You don't all, each have to take one. That's on. a great idea. Yeah, because I've taken like on my Belize trips where I've like taken groups. You know, I've taken like extra rods in case people break rods, and I've like loaded like ten, twelve rods into my individual, you know, rod carrying case without tubes, and the tubes are heavy. So just like yeah. scratch the tube. Um, if you're doing, if you're gonna check your rods, keep it in the tube because those bags are gonna get tossed around for sure. Um, but, um, if you're going somewhere remote, you'll want to take like extra fly line. Like think about things like, okay, if I go out on day one, the worst thing happens and my fly line snaps, you don't want to be stranded like on a really cool trip without an extra fly line. It doesn't, your backup line doesn't have to be super nice. Just have a backup, something that you can get out there and you can cast, make sure you take plenty of leaders and tip it. It'd be cool if we did some blog posts of like, Let's say you're going, you're flying somewhere to go fishing. Here's like a packing list, or you're going oh, yeah, yeah. hunting. Here's a packing list. Um, Actually, you know, with me going on a trip in a couple of weeks, we can I can throw it together. Yeah, uh, a packing list. I already have one. I have a running one that I do for all my hunting trips and stuff. Oh, that'd be cool. Can we share them with our listeners? Yeah. Um, so I keep on my phone, and this is how we're moving from fishing to hunting. Go ahead, Cliff. Yeah, but I mean, you could you could change it up for mm-hmm. fishing as you need bit and a lot or need. Um, a lot of it is stuff that I would probably take on both of them, uh, depending anyway. Um, so on my reminders app, I created a list that I just call. Sorry, I'm looking at this and I'm getting confused at what I'm trying to click uh called my hunting pack list and it's very broad and then i have notes underneath it for what i mean 
doing it. And for my hunting pack list, I have camo, which constitutes shirt, pants, jacket, and things that I'd need to wear while actually hunting. Oh, water, which I have bottles and jugs, which means water bottles for me or a jug of water for hatch. So it covers both me and the dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yetis, so my coolers and ice. So I make sure to bring my Yeti ice frozen and I will normally stop on the way down and grab a couple bags of ice. Uh, Scents is what I have next would be my ozone machine, scent killers, cover scents, whatever I may need to eliminate my human smell. And then I have my work clothes, which are kind of like my lounge clothes, what I'm going to go out onto the ranch and do work to like fill feeders, check cams or something like that, which is normally like jeans and t-shirts type stuff. And then I have uh, wet boots. So if I'm doing duck hunting stuff, I'll bring my rubber boots. Or if I'm doing more upland style or uh, more brushy stuff, just my gaiters. Uh, I have weapons and ammos, which underneath it is listed as bow or rifle. Uh, food, I make sure to list out the food that I would need. So enough for all my meals and a few snacks. Um, sleeping bag if I need it. Uh, my packs, so if I'm doing like a true overnight or true weekend hunt or something like that where I'm going to be gone, I'll take my big pack or if it's... A bunch of day hunts and staying out of cabin, I'll take my day pack. Um, and then just my cleaning tools, which means I know I need my knife, my sharpeners, my bags, my gloves, just to make sure that I have everything for it. And that's just a small preliminary just to know that I'll get through that weekend. Now, if I was doing it for truly fishing, I would say, like if I was going down to the coast, I would still keep my yetis i would keep my work clothes which is like everyday clothes i would have my fishing clothes so some type of shorts or pant or something that i don't mind wading in or my waders my wading boots and instead of weapon i would have fishing rods mm -hmm. what are some things you guys can think of that are maybe like not just like the common thing that everyone knows that they need to bring that you make sure that you bring with you sanitizer wipes sanitizer wipes you mean dude wipes no like uh like <laughs> hand wipes uh yeah especially if you're flying man they don't clean those trays that well and this is pre-covid i just bring sanitizer wipes wiping down what about for hunting and fishing like what are some things that you take that sanitizer no sanitizer <laughs> wipes <laughs> uh um Let's see. Um, I always bring my chacos usually because, like, and obviously if you're going in the middle of winter, it's a different story. But uh, you can typically wet wade just about any time, you know, mm -hmm. um, at least in the summer, like if you're traveling. And um, they're easy. I know I can slip, slip them on and I can get in the water really fast uh, if, I, if I'm at a place. Um, what else? Man, that's a good question. I like liquid IV. You guys heard of that stuff? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like a it's like a powder drink. That's like it's kind of like Gatorade, but better without all the sugar and everything. See, I count I count and it's that. It's got electrolytes and stuff in it. I count that in my food. Like I will 
make a note. Like, I know I'm going to bring, like, some sort of caffeinated water, like, electrolyte thing. filling thing. I know I'm going to bring actual water. So I just normally buy the powdered f- forms so I don't have, like, a bunch because liquid is heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then a couple snacks and stuff in case blood sugars go low. Yeah. And then my regular food items. So, like, if I'm doing a day hunt going somewhere. Yeah, I always make sure to bring an EpiPen because I'm allergic to bees. Oh, yeah. I so, always like also medication and stuff like that. Is yeah, Benadryl is a good one too. Which is one that I probably need to put on the list, but it's so ingrained to me to bring my friggin' insulin. Yeah, I'm going to bring it, so I don't yeah. I don't worry about forgetting it but as much. Like, but it's probably needs to be yeah. on the list because I also know I'm not going to necessarily forget my weapon. Yeah, you know what I bring? Uh, I bring duct tape. I uh, say that's in my kit. Yeah, but I always make sure I just, I cut off probably four feet and then I wrap it on itself. You know, that way you cut off weight, and then I... Uh, See, I have a spindle that actually has some thread and a needle on it, and then around that, uh-huh. I have duct tape wrapped around it, and then if I'm taking a Nalgene, mm-hmm. uh, I have duct tape wrapped around my Nalgene Yeah, as that's well. what I used to do as a rafting guy. So, like, I don't... Wrap around your Nalgene? Yeah, wrap around the I don't Nalgene. make sure that I bring it because I know it's there. Gotcha. And it's the same thing with, like... Yeah, what else, though, Cliff? Those are the things, the interesting tips that people might be more interested in. You're saying you know it's there, but what are those things for you that are less thought about that you, like, you know it's there. Oh, I know I'm going to pack it, so it's not on my list. Right, but somebody else, like duct tape, a lot of people don't bring, you know, but, it, yeah. it like, you get a blister, you can fix it. You get a cut, you can fix You know what I mean? Like, it does a lot more than just what For me, uh, that bullfrog sunscreen. Okay. Because it's insect repellent and sunscreen in one. Yep. Yeah, but that's gotten so hard to find. I've started using one called Cactus Juice, which works for me, and it's been easier to find. Mm. The Bullfrog Mosquito Bay, I've had issues finding it. Mm. Yeah. I don't necessarily take that when hunting because sunscreens and bug spray tends to have an odor. I don't know how much it affects the animal, but I know it affects me. Like, if I can smell it, I'm like, Clip, they can definitely... If you put on sunscreen and then put on enough cover spray... And then you put enough dip in your mouth? And then you sit in ozone for 20 minutes, you're covered. You're good. Anyway, uh, <laughs> since my friends are being a-holes... A-holes. <laughs> that, that's not with an age. <laughs> uh, I will agree, though. Uh, definitely bring sunscreen. And yeah. chapstick. And cha- oh, yeah. Chapstick is another one that I always bring, but again, it's always in my pocket. Like, I'm a chapstick fiend, so I know it's with me. There's this, um, I forget what it's called. It's in a presentation I put together about the same topic we're talking about, but it's um, liquid band aid is a good thing to bring too. Okay. Um, it's basically like this kind of like liquid gel if you get cuts or anything, or like um, you can just like. It's just like this liquid that you put over, it and it kind of like seals and protects. Burn cream, cut. Burn like in cream. in your first aid kit, a burn cream. Well, first aid kit's a good thing to bring. Yeah, yeah, and I have plethora. I have one in pretty much each of my packs, one in my truck, and then one at home. Um, you know, I used to be wilderness em. No, no, not wilderness EMT. One level below wilderness EMT, but there's a, a course in San Antonio I would be interested in taking just to refresh. Mission Ridge offers one. Yeah, and. I want to talk to you about something. Remind me that after the podcast. Um, yeah, I would say have your first aid kit. And I, th- I think it's good. I'm not going to discourage anyone from buying a pre-made kit. 
but you're going to go through that stuff pretty quickly or it's going to get dwindled down to where it's not really super effective. So I would say buy a first aid pouch and build it yourself full of the medications that you need. I would say an emodium, like an anti-diarrhea or anti-nausea type medicine in case. A well, Benadryl. Band-aid, Band-Aids always run out on like pre-made first aid kits. It's like they give you like three and you need about 40. Yeah, I would say Band-Aids. But what I would do is I would buy Band-Aids for the house and then I would just replenish my various first aid kits based off of that uh antacid because sometimes those mountain ops meals will kind of give you a little bit of heartburn um oh yeah mountain ops meals depending on what the type of trip not mountain doing. ops mountain house, mountain house. But you know, house. y'all know what I, we yep. meant um yeah depending on the trip you're doing but it's always good to have a one or two of those if you're going camping or mm-hmm. usually in a cabin sometimes it's just nice to have one or two of those. I'll bring them up. even when we go down to the ranch or something like that. I'll I'll bring one just as like kind of a comfort food in case like a backup. Yeah, in case I get hungry and no one else is hungry, or I'll eat it as a lunch or something like that. I've gotten real big into bringing lunchables out with me mm-hmm. out into the field. That way, I can still just kind of sit there and I have something in case I get hungry mm-hmm. out there beyond just a snack. Um. I would think about the stuff that you feel like you absolutely need every day to kind of be comfortable is the stuff that definitely needs to be in your pack. So for me, like something a lot of people carry, but a lot of people don't is chapstick. Yeah. Like I cannot go. It's almost like an addiction. I put it on all the time. I absolutely use the crap out of chapstick. What's your flavor? Bubblegum? Cherry? Dr. Pepper? Pineapple? Nope. Car- Carmex Original. <laughs> that's the worst flavor. I know. You, that's so boring. Sun Bum is that's pretty so good. so cliff. I don't want it to have <laughs> some frou-frou scent. No, no. Sun Bum is good because you sit there and lick your lips all the time. Yeah, and oh. then it makes them more dry. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah. think, I think uh, like what Cliff said, make sure, you know, the things you want to be comfortable. The big thing is if you're driving, you can just, like, pack everything. Yeah. When you're flying, you really have to, like, dwindle. Like, this Smith River trip, it's, like, five days on the river. Right. I'm not taking five sets of clothes. Yeah. You know, I really have to, like, be specific about what I'm going to yeah. take. Like, me going to the Smokies, is it going to be a different planning trip than when can I drive oh, no. to even, Yellowstone? You even if I, mean? I was hunting, I probably wouldn't bring, like, if I was doing a week-long Hunting trip, I probably would not bring a week's worth of clothes. No, no, no. no not for I'd probably trip. bring three days worth of clothes of like casual stuff and then my hunting gear and just I think change in and out of. I think the key thing that we can all say though is that we all have a list that we use whenever we go on a trip. And I think that's square one for anybody is make your list, look at other people's lists, look on the internet for what they say, take out what you think you don't need. Add some things like Cliff was saying about the comfort, but I think the most important thing is have that list that you look at every time you go somewhere. That way, you know you're bringing everything you need. You know. Yeah, and we'll put some lists together. We yeah. all have some lists. We'll put some lists together of like very detailed, and then you can go through that list and be like, "I definitely need this. This isn't interesting to me. Right. I don't need chapstick like Cliff does, or whatever. I don't need insulin, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't you, need you an don't EpiPen. Need an EpiPen. You know what I mean? So we could like, just make this really big list. Right. I, th- I think at the end of the day, either us providing a list or you find a list on the internet or something like that because there are some out there. 
you're still going to have to cater it to you. You're going to oh, yeah. have to put some sort of thought into it to build your own. Definitely. And it's still not going to be perfect because mine, what I end up taking is going to be different depending on season, weather type, and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good note to end on. For sure. Good job, guys. Hey, Jamie, not to put you on the spot, but you got some closing words of wisdom. He also didn't do an article. I think we should make him. Yeah. What are your closing words of wisdom? Uh, closing words of wisdom. It doesn't have to be on our topic. Yeah. Um, praise God. Uh, was that it? I'm a student pastor, so my closing words of wisdom are uh, praise God. Now, I would say uh, be careful on the road. There's my uh, words of wisdom. There you go. Be careful on the road. All right, careful kid. on the road. All right, guys. All right. We'll talk at you next week. Bye. You gonna clean up that vomit now? I already cleaned it up. I can still see chunks, dude. It's gonna be gone by the morning. <laughs> Just play the music. Just play the music. Cue the music. Oh my god. <laughs>